0: morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about how RPGs have changed from the 70s until today. That's the 1970s for those of you who didn't know.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had titled it the old RPGs, but Jolene (laughs) didn't like that the title. But, uh, you know, I played original D&D, so that's where I started. Yes, I think... When you compare old first generation RPGs to today's RPGs, you you definitely see some trends that are different or ideas that are different.
0: This would be the third generation of RPGs, if you. I think so. I think because if you if you go with a generation is around twenty years.
1: I would say yeah, you're right. I think there is that middle generation, the '90s that we don't we don't talk about. That's not true. The stepchild. Uh, no, seriously, but I think you're right. We would be remiss if we don't mention. Uh, rpgs in the 70s i think the most influential rpg in the 70s was probably vampire the masquerade
0: in the 70s
1: i'm sorry in the 90s <laughs> thank you <laughs> so <laughs> i would say D and D and everything created around the 70s all the stuff uh, he usually all the way talks the about the 80s and in the 90s uh, vampire the masquerade really had, was influential to a lot of gamers well yeah and uh
0: that was a lot of their first game
1: or it wasn't may not have been the first game, but it was one that they really liked and they played a lot.
0: I've heard a lot of kids.
1: kids that was their first.
0: Well, I've heard a lot of people say that in the nineties, that was their first game.
1: Wow, that's kind of interesting.
0: Was where did Werewolf? Yeah, it's all, that's to? all. That's all. Line. That genre, right? Right. There. So we missed that. Ma-
1: vampire Masquerade.
0: Because Saul doesn't like vampires. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't like horror usually.
0: Well. You're getting a little bit more accustomed to it these days.
1: Well, I have a, one group that absolutely loves Call Cthulhu, which is a horror game. And because they like Call Cthulhu, they also like other horror games, right? Uh, what was that one that about the, the... The Linworm? Yes, the Capaway one. Oh my God. Uh, that was a horror game. Uh, we just played a session of Never Going Home, a World War II horror game
0: was it world war ii i thought it was world war one you
1: are correct it was world war one in trench warfare i get my words confused
0: he shouldn't but he does i do
1: uh i've been actually reading it extensively well not lately but up until the pandemic i was reading quite a bit about world war one and uh, a lot of people are considering it the forgotten war because i don't think there's anybody nobody
0: talks to, about it and everybody's dead
1: everybody's dead right so i don't think we have i don't think there's anybody who was alive during world war ii
0: World War One.
1: World War One. Sorry, and we're losing people from World War Two, right? Yes. And not that anybody's going to forget World War Two, but I think because World War Two has such a huge impact on the world, it is a it is overshadows World War One.
0: It was really just a continuation of World War One, but we'll get into that. But yes. I'm,
1: but uh, this is not a podcast about <laughs> world been... war history. This is a podcast. What is this podcast about? RPGs. That's right. <laughs> We're talking about older RPGs, so for the first RPGs, like Dungeons & Dragons, uh, original Dungeons & Dragons, AD&D, even... uh, Traveler. Traveler is a big one. Uh, Even uh, other games from the 80s, like Iron Crown Industries, their set of rules.
0: If he he missed the game that you love from that era, don't worry. It's just because there's a lot of them.
1: Publishers like FGU, which published Space Opera, a bunch of other games, Gangster pirates or something like that uh gamma world came out in the early 80s too. oh gamma rules by tsr right so it actually came out in the 80s i think 81 81 i thought it was earlier early, early, early than that but there's those games and they were very uh they were very groundbreaking you know this idea of role playing by a certain set of rules and stuff was amazing you know whoever, whoever but uh, dave arson and gary gygax <laughs> i think I don't know if it would have still happened, this idea of role playing, but I don't know when it would have happened. I'm just glad that Dave Artson and Gary Gygax were the ones that did it because in my youth, I was able to start playing role playing games, and here I am, not as a youth, still playing role playing <laughs> games. So I think we could say some generalities about those role playing games in the early, in the late 70s, early 80s. I think it'll fit. I mean, of course, not every, you know, anytime you make generalities, There's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be something that bucks the trend. But for the most part, they're pretty much true, right? That these generalities exist. That's why it's
0: called a generality.
1: Right. So for me, elements of an old game, I think you probably agree with me, Jolene. Rules. Lots of rules. And And, tables. And tables and charts. (laughs) Now, uh, Jolene, didn't play some games that had a lot of charts. Like, D&D had some charts, right? It had the hit table.
0: I think with the D and D I played in the eighties with my brother, it must have been a D and D, yeah, because, and then they were we, you know, I was playing with eleven-year-old boys, so they might have adjusted the rules. I don't know.
1: Right. So there was a lot of rules. Uh, there, there's a, a a a lot of rules, in those days were broken down into charts. Uh, probably one of the.
0: I think it comes from the fact that it comes from, oh, um, yeah. from miniatures. Yeah. So. There's a lot of charts and rulers involved in miniatures.
1: Yes. So I think the charts were a way of breaking down information to make it easier for people to understand. Yeah. So I think one game, Iron Crown Industries, I mentioned earlier, did uh, Claw Law, Spell Law. I think it was Spell Law, Claw Law, Arms Law. So you would have to buy three different books. Claw Law was like hand-to-hand and... and melee weapons that
0: has stayed the most most games have three books right they have the the monster manual <laughs> the dm guide and the um and the player's handbook that's
1: true well, that was anD.
0: i know i i i totally i, I was just thinking because you said old versus new and i'm thinking for most of them except for the one sheet rules
1: you know <laughs> yes i think you're right so yeah i didn't think about that but it um, was but what was weird about iron crown industries which they shortened to ice iron crown industries
0: that's not a good term to use uh, ice,
1: well, yeah uh, depending on what you know it was Who the you drug are or the or the people rounding up people it was it was weird because you would have to if you wanted to fight with weapons you had to have arms law and if you wanted to fight with magic with well those so spell law right yeah. and then if you wanted hand to hand like literally hand to hand you had claw law so it was kind of interesting i don't I never bought that book but one of my friends years later uh, we he tried to get a game of middle earth role playing which used a version of the those rules the iron crown industries It was made by iron crown industries and it was chart after chart like every weapon had its own chart a whole page
0: well there's a lot of weapons <laughs> and if you're going to do that you know you're going to need that
1: and then there was like the the f- weird thing about it. And I st- people still love this chart was a critical hit chart or critical, yeah. the critical uh, damage or critical failure rolls and My, stuff like that.
0: Well, space opera had those charts of,
1: yeah, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't, I mean, I understand they did have a lot of charts. No,
0: they had charts when you hit, it was where you, you, you rolled to see where you hit, right? Yeah. 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 But so, so that was, I think that, and I don't, Saul's not making fun of this stuff. It's, I think, in the, the the best sense of the way he's explaining it to explain that this is what has come along to make role playing the way it is now, Yes, because of those first endeavors with all the the charts
1: and stuff like that. Well, I think it had to do with people are just trying to figure it out, yeah, and see what works and what doesn't work I mean and actually- I'm glad
0: they did I'm glad they did all of that because role playing now is a lot more fun than with a lot of charts for me, but if they wouldn't have went to all that trouble to make those, I would say, spreadsheets, but I don't know what was back then. to make. I'm sure there spreadsheets back yeah, then. Yeah, spreadsheets and, and figure out all of these rules and how to do it, then we wouldn't have the industry and hobby that we have today.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, you're right. It was a lot of trial and error. And actually, I think Iron Crown Industries was, did pretty well for a, a, a bit of time. Like I said, they were able to get a hold of uh, the token license and they made MERP, Middle-Earth Roll Plane. And, uh, and, I, and I used that and I actually played a little bit. I made a character and it was interesting. Later on, they came out with Space Master, which was a version of the rules for science fiction. I used their supplements for space opera because they were there were just like settings and stuff. Uh, the whole idea of the space station, I took from a supplement called Akaisha Station, which is, I just took the whole name. The, the I think I made the, the station much bigger because in the, in the Space Master rules, it was like a research station. So I wanted something bigger like Babylon 5. So it was more like a, what is it? A diplomatic type of place. So I made it bigger so it would hold like, to ten thousand people or something like that. more people anyway so they, they had you know very nice uh, uh set of rules i mean in the sense that they were very well uh made they had lots of supplements lots of adventures so it was relatively popular they were relatively successful uh another thing about elements of an old game is they try to be simulationist like i said the tendency to be adversarial which was a for me would be a problem right you don't want adversarial Relationship between the GM and the players. Like, they say D&D was adversarial, and I guess there's adversarial GMs that exist today still, which I don't see how fun that would be, unless you are really... I
0: think the idea of that comes from the fact that, you know, GMs get attached to the the things that they create, right? The storylines and the the monsters or bad guys, (laughs) right? Because they take time to put those out. So I think the adversarial part and especially how deadly like D&D can be when you're trying to check for traps and all kinds of things right. like that. In the beginning, that was a big deal. And a lot of people still use
1: those, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> well, there was a role versus death, right? There was always that problem where it just, whether well, your character lived or died depend on one role. Right. Well, you made your saving throw. Okay. You, uh, and that's how I died. When my first, one of my first most powerful characters was the wizard, I think. And I thought it was pretty badass. And I came across like three priests and one of them did the ray of death. And I, I rolled my die. Does that spell failed. exist anymore? I don't think so. See. I think there's think there's a ray of disintegration or something like that. Yeah. That probably is comparable to the ray of death. So I rolled and it was real tough. And I had rolled up the wax d20. and
0: It didn't work.
1: didn't work. I rolled a three. Killed over dead those to it.
0: I guess, but that one didn't have anything with the GM being adversarial.
1: Yeah, he wanted to kill my character, obviously. Felipe. Well, so
0: I guess it's the way that, <laughs> that each player takes it, right?
1: I cried for hours after that of my 11-year-old self. Another thing about older games is that sometimes they're railroad There's multiple reasons for that. I think modules back in the day were railroady and they were used as a example of how adventure should go. So people who re- bought those modules go oh that's the way you play that's how you build an adventure that's how you play dnd i think luckily for us me and my brother and my friends we uh, one we didn't have a hobby store nearby us at the closest one and felipe
0: has a great ma- imagination
1: well there's that he does have a good imagination and we were poor right we didn't have a lot of disposable income and so going to a hobby store one is not available and two buying something whether it was thirteen, fourteen dollars was just like too much money, so he was all left to his own on his own to come up with ideas and campaign ideas and adventure ideas. And when you're given that kind of freedom, you come up with whatever you want. It's not gonna be a. It's not gonna be like a module, at least for the for the most part.
0: Modules are hard to run, as <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned, because. You, your play, the players aren't going to go and do what it te- it says that they're supposed to do.
1: Right. That's the big problem. And then I think, unless it's a dungeon, a straightforward dungeon, right? <laughs> the arrow is telling you which way to go. Yeah. The only, the, the only, it's, it, it's a shiny arrow, too.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, on bright. the wall. It's luminescent, so yeah. even if
1: they can't see it, it, it glows. I think, in that sense, the only decision you have is whether you want to open a door or not, theoretically and, and went, you want to open
0: all the doors right well, so I you can know. get lot, all the treasure
1: there was a lot of times when you would listen at a door you know actually there was a there was a it was a it was it was a roll you listen at doors and you would listen at the door and, and then depending on what you rolled, you would uh hear something and then you're like eh. not not that this ever happened where our group decided yeah that sounds too nasty we just prepared ourselves to meet our, our doom. <laughs> meet our doom. Meet our doom, depending on how loud you do. You hear a rustling of scales and, and it rattles the well, ground. Scales is kind of a giveaway. You rattle the ground. I'm like Okay. You're on point, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. You go first. <laughs> so Railroady games, uh, you know, we all talk about it and almost it's almost a trope, right? It's almost this this, this trope about now, older games being yeah. trope railroady. Yeah. And of course, limited player agency now because augustine because felipe my brother who ran the games when i was younger he didn't have modules to to go off as an example he just made a world like a a breathing world based on the fantasy novels that he wrote at he wrote he read at the time and we had a lot of player agency. we went wherever we wanted to you know we chased uh uh, clues. Oh, we hear about this. Or people would ask us if they, we want to go do this. And we're like, sure. You know, for us, that was player agency. It wasn't like we got stuck going into a dungeon and that's all we did for 10 years. I mean...
0: I was just playing a game, not last night, but the night before with Felipe. And he gives you total player agency. Of course, we're playing an investigative game and we keep showing up at the houses after the people have been killed. <laughs> so... <laughs> we're not very good investigators apparently but but it was a lot of fun to try to get there before the death happened i would say
1: we're very good investigators at investigating murder scenes which is very bad just at can't prevent them
0: catching <laughs> the murderer <laughs> but no he he still uses and he was using a module for this one it sure looks like it i have and no idea where he got that module. he said he was he, he said it was a module or he said it was a adventure. Yeah. So I know he was using it, but he, you know, lets you do whatever you want and then he just tells you he went with what the story was, right? right? It, was really, and you did it a was really good job. So doing a module for him is the same way probably as he would have since he's always run it a certain way, right? He allows for the player agency even within the module.
1: Right. I think He does what I do, and I probably learned it from him, I guess. Obviously. Uh, When we did get a module, I think the first module was bought by me, Sip, and Esteban, and we bought Against the Giants, which was a culmination of, I don't know the numbers. Modules back then had a numbering system like B1, B2, B3, right? T1, T1, T2, T3. I forget which one it was. But it was Against the Hill Giants, Against the Frost Giants, and Against the Fire Giants. And what they did is they combine all those modules into against the giants, and we go, whoa, what a deal! And I don't remember where we even bought it, but I remember it was a green, uh, had a the, the the back was a hard cover, no, not hard but hard hard cardboard, and inside was a booklet, and uh, they had pictures on the like you could use it as a right, a GM screen. screen correct, and we each took one, like I forget who ran what, but uh, me I took one. Sip took one, and I don't know if Esteban actually ever ran one, but he was supposed to. But I don't. I think we just one of us ran ran two. Esti was not interested in GMing, but anyway, uh, I re- I did, we did the module, and I don't remember it being that railroady. But I guess it didn't matter. It Was like, oh, this is our. F- I think that was our first module. I don't remember my brother ever buying a, a previous one. He did buy the Village of Hamlet. That's right, he did buy that one, and that one is a weird module. That's more like a setting. And i don't even know I don't think we've ever played it, because he worked on it for a long time, making maps, adding characters, and it just never got, it just never got off the ground because he it was, it was in the planning stages of it because there was so much work to do because you really couldn't run that module as a mo- uh, that module as an adventure because it was more like a setting, oh this character does this, this character's doing that, there's some evil plot, but but I actually I've never it's like
0: read- the big books now the. The giant king one, the, the storms King Thunder. That yeah. one's
1: that one's kind of railroady. You know, you go from place to place. But but as, I I remember this one one game from Top Secret. Uh, the Top Secret when you bought the box first edition box game, it gave you an adventure in a book called Operation Speciali or something Italian, and all it was was a setting. It was like a little part of a city. And this character was, this non-player character was involved with this, and this non-player character was, but you weren't sent on a mission doing anything. So you, with this setting, you were supposed to come up with something and then have the players do something in that setting. But there was no, at least I, as in my 12-year-old brain or 13-year-old brain, I couldn't figure out if there was a, I never ran that adventure. Later on, there was an Operation Fast Pass, which was more of, a, of a, oh, an, a, an adventure. An adventure, a module adventure. Right.
0: Well there's a difference between a setting and a module, right?
1: Right, right. And, or it was it seemed just like a location with interesting people. Right. And so to
0: give you ideas of what to do with right, your game.
1: Right. Right. Or what to yeah.
0: So obviously the older games also had non-railroady things as in settings.
1: Yeah, but I don't think it was intentional. I think it was just like lazy.
0: I don't I don't know that you can <laughs> say that. Lazy
1: creation or something. Or maybe like I said it was something they didn't really know how to do uh it was like what is it it's a brand new thing that they were doing and if, so i heard somewhere i forget where it was probably another podcast they were saying that TSR the makers of dungeons and dragons and top secret and gamma world they at the very beginning of the company they didn't think about modules they didn't think there was money to be made in modules they thought we'll just sell the rules and people will come up with their own stuff but the modules became really really uh popular
0: well it's because it's, it's hard to come up with your own adventure at first as a GM, right? You want something to inspire you. And those modules right. give you ideas. And then if you get into running them, then you just want another module to run so you don't have to come up with the idea yourself.
1: So I think that's what my brother did. And I, I take that from him, too, is that you get a module just for inspiration, right? whether you use it as intended like
0: some of them have maps and stuff like that right which is is really cool yeah and
1: yeah we talked about using modules and and making up your own but i think you're right i think when but the way my brother does it is that he just gets inspiration from the module and as do why because sometimes i can't think of something like man it's just a a writer's block mental block whatever i get a a, a, an adventure and i'm like oh yeah i I don't like that part i take that oh i've changed this so it's almost not in not recognizable but it's more like I'm just but she using did use an it. outline of it. Yes. Yeah, it was yes. functional, right? Yeah. It helped me out. So we're talking about uh, limited player industry in the in in the old games. So so what has di- what is different between then and now modern games. I think there's a few things that have changed. One uh is well, the
0: the the time from the 70s to now a lot of things have changed well
1: i think there's been new uh what is it new ideas have popped propped up came up in role playing and for me uh elements of the newer games and again these are just generalities and not saying that this didn't happen in the 70s or 80s or 90s but but today most games it seems like uh new games are they're more collaborative Mm-hmm. They want input from the players, and the GM are telling the story, this idea that you are telling the story. It's evolved
0: in a lot of ways in that, in that direction. Right.
1: Uh, a lot of games today are non murder hobo if <laughs> that's a term.
0: There's different styles of games. Instead of just going on an adventure, you could be doing a, an investigation, although you did those in like Top Secret and stuff, right? Yes.
1: Even fantasy games, the idea of being a murder-hobo
0: I don't know that that's actually an idea. I think that just happens.
1: You're right, but I think certain rules kind of not push. Well, you. if you're
0: going into a dungeon to get treasure, that kind of <laughs> inspires murder hoboishness, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Versus if you go to a town and somebody's hiring you to that you know there's a bunch of wolves or something attacking the farmers, then you got to figure out what's going on, right?
1: Yes, because it's more collaborative. There's also there's a Higher player agency players can add more to the story do more as be more open-ended to what is possible
0: i think that in both of those examples especially player agency and your idea of non-murder hobo-ish games <laughs> more storytelling games i think it, it's it has to do with the evolution of the gaming industry and yes. and the way that people play but also i think it is a a kind of a psychological things have been brought into it such as Mm. do you remember in the in the 80s with the what did they call it the where well i grew up going to church so when we were at church (laughs) all of a sudden i think it was 82 or 83 they said you shouldn't play this these this dungeons and dragons thing it's it's, satanic panic yes. yes and but unfortunately for our church it didn't that didn't really take off because the pastor's son was my GM at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> we kind of just, he, they, the, his dad and my mom went, eh, whatever.
1: <laughs> so the pastor's the pastor's son yes. was okay with you guys playing D&D.
0: The pastor was okay with that. We played it in his house.
1: Right. Okay playing D&D. Yes. The Satan game. I no,
0: think, he didn't consider it no, the I know, Satan I know. game.
1: But what's weird is that I was prime timetable wise in a satanic panic i remember the story about that guy who they made mazes and m- monsters they wrote a book about him uh he went he was on he drugs had issues he had issues he had big time issues and he played D and it's like well all dnd uh, killed him you know that's why he died why he killed himself and nothing to do with that but but it didn't matter the real story didn't matter what mattered was that there was a sensationalized story about D and satan satan Satanism.
0: It was at the same time when they were talking about backmasking on records. I think stuff. that
1: probably was a little bit earlier. But after that, there was uh, metal music killing, uh, causing people to kill yeah. themselves. That was later in the 80s, late 80s. But you're right, in the earlier 80s and in the mid-80s, the satanic panic was happening. And it I, did not affect us at all. Which was weird. Well, it
0: didn't affect us. And we lived in a small town in, you know, the mountains in California. Right. And we played D&D at the pastor's house. So he knew that we, (laughs) that this was ridiculous, right? Because he was, you know what I mean? Because we were playing at the kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we played. And and the the pastor's wife was making dinner, and he was there <laughs> reading the newspaper. And every once in a while, he would give us ideas. And it wasn't like a; it was an adventure game, right? Yeah. We were playing.
1: What's funny is that I remember uh, this has been discussed. We discussed the Satanic Panic before. It was weird, is because I live in I grew up in this little town. Well, Salinas. It's not a little. T- I guess it was, I don't know. Depends it on what you mean by smaller little. Then. It was a smaller city, Salinas, and we didn't attend church right there's a reason why we didn't attend church but my fault but uh <laughs> yes my family was very happy about that anyway so we didn't go to church so that wasn't a big influence on, on us and i don't remember it being a big issue in salinas at all well salinas because,
0: was a little a
1: little behind time sometimes well it's that it's there's that but it was also a very conservative town which i didn't realize until i was much much older that it was a conservative town i mean for example we my brother started at the Steinbeck Library, which is the main library in Salinas, uh, the Castles and Crusaders Club. And that ran, I oh mean, I can't, I remember. And that
0: ran during that time.
1: Right. I mean, it was, it was after I had graduated from, from middle school, middle school, from junior high, because we didn't go to middle school, so which was seventh and eighth grade. So I was about 13, 14. So it was around 1981, 82. He started that club and it's, it went through all the way to, at least a, a, a ten years that yeah. that the club it was in existence. I know if we moved it. Uh, he went to a, a different one, for some reason I don't know why he wanted to move the the club or it stopped being a, a club, but uh he wanted to move it to the San Luis, not San Lucia, but there was one way out there which was a nice library, but it was too far for us to. It go. probably
0: had a bigger space.
1: It had an interesting space. It was like an octagon. But anyway, like nobody balked at there being a Dungeons and Dragons club. Cause it was called because well,
0: most people are not insane. <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: Well, it was well. We didn't call it the Dungeons and Dragons club. We called it Castles and Crusaders Club, which. And then some people would go, "What's this about?" And I guess we were cognizant of the situation, but we would say, "Oh, it's a military. It's like a war game." Because that was like the easiest thing to to explain it as. And then we we talked about role playing. And some people would look at it as funny and then walk away. But never did somebody say, oh, you guys are doing the devil's work or whatever, anything like that. And it was really strange considering it was a conservative town, considering, you know, we were a bunch of kids playing and adults like, oh, yeah, no problem. It was just really strange. So satanic panic just kind of overlooked little town of salinas
0: <laughs> well i think it overlooked most role players except for those poor kids that their parents were like i read about this and you're not doing that anymore and we had somebody on one of our episodes and i can't remember who it was who whose parents are like that and said he couldn't play but it was okay because his best friend was i think it was his best friend's family like played anyway oh. and he got to play with them
1: Oh, oh at their house yeah yeah, I mean, you hear stories that, that there were book burnings and people were their parents threw all their D&D books away and So that did, could have that could have
0: adjusted the way people played if it did if they were influenced or had a problem with that at that time. Right. But I think the 80s there were a lot of different games came out, right? Wasn't wasn't um the one with the um, I want to say Johnny Pneumatic What's that? Oh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk
1: 1988, I believe. Yeah.
0: So, so all kinds of different kinds of things came out, right?
1: Right. And I I was actually going to talk about Cyberpunk because even in the 80s, even in earlier this era of of what I called older RPGs, that they were non collaborative, that they were this and that. There were some games that broke those molds, right? For example, I was talking about Bunnies and Burrows the last episode, and it was where you played rabbits. You weren't even heroic rabbits. You, you didn't carry swords and stuff. You were just a rabbit, <laughs> right? Uh, or a bunny. You want to look at bunnies and bros. And that would force you to play a different way than a Dungeons & Dragons game.
0: Right, because uh, you, you're not a... a f- you could be a rabbit fighter, but <laughs> you, you may not be as strong as the dog. Right, right.
1: or a fox or anything else up yeah. there that can kill <laughs> you and eat You're a cute little you. bunny. Right, and so it really bucked the trend. Right. And it was so funny is that we were talking about that game and people thought that it was kind of like, is that real? Is that a real role-playing game? That was like the reaction back then when I, when my brother brought it home and when after he bought it, we're like, Oh yeah, let's try it. It was like no big deal. But obviously there was other people who thought it was a joke that they were making fun of Dungeons and Dragons. And that was not the case. The guy just had read a down, thought it was an interesting idea. And well, we can make a role-playing game out of it, and so that's what he did. So I was going to talk about cyberpunk because cyberpunk, it's it's this like this new genre that that that's come that just was born in the mid '80s, and uh,
0: out of sci-fi novels and uh, right, sci-fi I thought, ideas. I
1: originally, when we talked about cyberpunk before, I had originally thought that Mike Pondsmith is the creator of cyberpunk. He had read the book Neuromancer, but actually, he read a book called he- Hardwired which was by a different author. They're only a year apart. Neuromancer came out in 1984. The other game came out in 19. Um, the other book came out in 1985. And he came out with the rules in 1988. So uh, I forget who the author of that book is. Shoot, I should have looked it up. But supposedly Mike Pondsmith and this author talked about the game. And I think they even played. Uh, the author played uh, uh, the, the alpha version or the you know, the homebrew version of Cyberpunk. Well what's different about that is that you are a hero but you're fighting you're fighting the man, the corporation.
0: Sounds like dark conspiracy <laughs> in the in and, in a different time, right? And
1: it was very it was very cyberpunk It's very anti hero in a certain sense. What you're if not, you think
0: about the eighties when it was made and those kind of books, that was also the time of, of the
1: Goths? Yes. Well they were anti what do you call it? Anti-establishment. Uh, anti-establishment, anti establishment. Anti establishment, anti going with the with the flow alternative an and alternative and punk itself which started in the 70s but well you, you know, know
0: in the 80s we were very we were in the United States in California we were living under Ronald Reagan right very repressed we were very <laughs> uh, preppy and
1: uh, i wasn't but I the was. cool kids were <laughs> and you're right i think role playing games have uh, are kind of a reflection of society in a certain sense but anyway I think, well, back to Cyberpunk, it was very interesting because it was, there was a tagline called, it said something like, it doesn't matter how, what you do as long as you look good doing, doing it. it. It was this idea that.
0: That was an 80s thing. That was an 80s thing, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it, it was very interesting and. And it was very anti-normal, anti-establishment, anti anti-normal or role-playing game, yeah. right? You think the, the end result most likely well you weren't gonna get the change that you wanted, right? Because this fight against corporation, this fight against the man was kind of like a fight that was just you're not gonna win, like this. What do you call it? This unattainable goal. Cyberpunk was a very influential game in the late '80s, in the '90s, and the '90s, and the ushered in uh, those middle games that change things quite a bit. And then oh. like I said before, it was uh Vampire Masquerade.
0: When did um Space not Space Opera. When did um Shadow Run come out? Ninety one?
1: Oh Shadow Run. i don't have to look that up. Okay. But I think it was in the eighties too. Oh okay. Late eighties obviously. Uh oh no it might have been ninety one. Yeah you're right. It appears that we're going long on this one. So we might have to do a short follow up episode.
0: It may not be short.
1: <laughs> uh we mainly dealt with nineteen eighties games. And older games. So in the next episode, part two, we'll discuss the newer games. In From the 90s forward. From the 90s forward. Actually, we should do like just three parts, right? Just new games, old games, the middle years, and then today.
0: And we'll figure it out. Correct. So this is Gaming Perspectives with... Saul. And
1: This has been part one. <laughs> you have a good day. <laughs>